Dennis O'Shea founded Mobile Mentor in 2004 with a simple mission to empower people to achieve more with their devices. The company was named Microsoft's 2021 Global Partner of the Year for Modern Endpoint Management. Dennis' purpose is to help others find the right balance between security and employee experience. With so many people working remotely, this presents new challenges for companies and also their security. For example, what is driving the massive wave of security breaches and ransomware attacks and how to lead people you have never met. So in today's episode let us chat with Dennis O'Shea on an interesting topic covering rehiring and retaining Gen Z employees as well as how technology is helping with the great resignation. This is the Guiding Voice podcast series, the guiding voice for a better future. Folks, I'm your host Navin Samala, just a fellow IT professional on a mission to shape the careers and lives of millions across the globe. And through the Guiding Voice, we enable and help successful leaders share their knowledge and wisdom with the world, so that our audience will acquire more knowledge per every minute by tuning into the Guiding Voice than any other podcast in this space. Thank you so much for joining me today, and we are extremely pleased to have Dennis part of the Guiding Voice journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe. And Dennis, I'm super excited to have you part of this conversation, and really super thrilled to look at your profile. Very impressive, and a hearty welcome to the Guiding Voice. Thank you, Naveen. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Uh, Dennis, let's get into our conversation without further ado, and maybe you can briefly talk about your career journey and also the top three things that have helped you so far to be successful in your professional life. Oh, all right. So my career journey started in Ireland. That's where I was educated. And when I graduated, Ireland was in a tough economic situation. So I left and I moved to Finland and I joined Nokia, which was really in the early stages of the cell phone uh, revolution. That was back in the late 80s. And an interesting thing happened as soon as I joined Nokia, our CEO committed suicide. And that was because the economic situation in Finland was really difficult. Um, it was around the time of the collapse of the USSR and the Finnish economy went down and Nokia went down and our CEO um, took it on, on himself. And I was then part of that company for the next 15 years as Nokia grew out of that situation and became a world leader in cellular technology and really became a very dominant player. So that was a wonderful journey. And I moved from Finland to New Zealand and then to Switzerland and after 15 years, I decided to leave Nokia and set up my own company, Mobile Ninter, as you introduced me before. <clears throat> and for the last 17 or 18 years, I've been building that company in New Zealand, then Australia, then we got into Brazil, then China. And now I live in the United States, building our company here. So my career has had many journeys, sorry, many, many chapters in the journey and many countries as well, which has really, I guess, shaped my life experience and my perspective. So I've been very privileged. To have the career journey that I've had. So apart from working in this global work, uh, global environment across multiple demographies or multiple geographies, what are any other things that have really helped you? I had some great mentors and leaders over time. And, and I find that now when I'm in a difficult situation, I often think, what would Phil do or what would this person do? So that's been really helpful to me, having some great people I can I can draw inspiration from. And then I've had some great partnerships. For example, the partnership we have with Microsoft right now has been quite, quite instrumental in changing and, and shaping our company and our strategy. And you mentioned before we won that Partner of the Year award. That was a big deal. 
And so a lot of the work we do comes from Microsoft and is centered around how we can add value for Microsoft customers. So I would say people and partnerships are the things that have probably shaped my my career so far. So now let's talk about your research, Dennis, because uh, this is a very sure. interesting topic about uh, hiring and retaining Centennials as well as Gen Z. Because um, for them, like they don't want to come to office and uh, they don't, they're completely different from the earlier generations and all. So how are they different and how do, what should organizations do in order to hire and retain them? Right. So let me first tell you about the research we did because that yeah. was really interesting. So Absolutely. we knew that the we knew the world was changing very quickly as we came out came through this pandemic, and we wanted to understand what are actually what's actually going on in the home office of all the people working remotely. So if you think about anyone's home office setup, they've probably got a few devices on the desk and a couple of screens. And maybe there's a machine owned by their company. Maybe there's a personal computer. Maybe there's a tablet. Maybe there's a smartphone. And everybody has a different setup. And we wanted to understand what's actually going on out there in all those millions of home offices. And how are people protecting the data that's belonged to their company? You know, it might be healthcare data. It might be education data. It might be financial data. How are they protecting that data? And how are they managing all their passwords to get into all their applications and accounts? How are they using the different applications? And how are they balancing the security needs of their company with their personal productivity and their personal experience? So we did this big study to understand the front line of, of work in, um, as we come out of the pandemic. And we surveyed people in healthcare, education, government, and the finance industry. And now what's interesting is they're all highly regulated industries. They're regularly, they're federally mandated that they have to protect something, a patient record, a student record, a financial record, or citizen data. So they really should be in a good place with security and their, their overall um, protection of data. And we did the study to understand the realities. And we got some shocks because we found that the reality is, is a bit different of what it should be. And the way we did the research was we sliced the data by generation. So we had Gen Z young millennials, older millennials, then Gen X, which is my generation, and then the baby boomer generation. And we looked at this from two perspectives. One is security and the other is the employee experience. And and you asked me about Gen Z. So let me tell you some of the crazy things that are happening with Gen Z. Firstly, they don't see security policies and security initiatives in the same way that other generations see them but they see privacy in a very different way. And one of the reasons for this is that Gen Z is the only generation in the workforce that has no recollection of 9-11. Now, everybody else in the workforce knows exactly where they were, what they were doing, who they were with on the day of 9-11, and had a profound impact on us. No matter where in the world you were, it had a big impact. And then the next 20 years of our lives, we saw security really weigh upon us. You know, I was airport security, it was cyber security, it was homeland security. Security just became a really big deal for everybody except Gen Z, because Gen Z was probably running around the kitchen in nappies when 9-11 happened, and it went right over their heads, and they didn't get impacted by it in the way everybody else did. So they went through the next 20 years in a way quite oblivious to what was happening as security pressed down on all of us. And then they joined the workforce during a pandemic, and they probably joined their first company 
during the pandemic working remotely. And so they don't see the world the way we do. They've had a different life experience, which we need to respect and understand. And they are the generation that share their lives all over social media. They choose to share everything about themselves on social media. Now, what's really interesting is when we ask Gen Z through our study, how often do you see security policies? A large percentage of them tell us never. And we say, how often do you see security awareness training? And they say, never, which is not true because we know companies, you know, apply security awareness training to all their employees and policies. Gen Z is selectively blind when it comes to security policies. But if we ask them, how often do you see a privacy policy? They tell us quite often. In fact, more often than any other generation. So they are really aware of privacy which is a really interesting one because they share their lives on social media, but they do so with their eyes wide open. They're confronted by and exposed to privacy policies all the time through Instagram and the different services they use. So Gen Z is just wired differently when it comes to security. That's that's what the first the first big thing we found. They're yeah. just wired differently. And then when we look at some of their behaviors, um, we find that Gen Z, even though they've only been in the workplace and the workforce a short time, they seem to have acquired more passwords than any other generation, which is crazy. But they have so many accounts and so many services and so many things going on. They've acquired a huge number of passwords. And how they manage them is the biggest problem. Because in most cases, they're not using password management tools. They're using personal notebooks, Excel spreadsheets, apps on their phone. And this is for their work passwords. So we're seeing a big problem with what we call password hygiene, which is how we manage and handle all our passwords. That's a problem with that generation. And then the third big one is what we call shadow IT, which is the use of IT tools and technologies that are not provided to you by the company. And we find Gen Z, because they came, they, they, they most recently came out of the education system into the workforce, they probably were very used to using G Suite and all the Google tools during their education. Now they come into the workforce and they're going to deal with Windows and Office and Teams and Outlook and all these new applications. They struggle a little bit. And then when they come under pressure and when they get stressed, they tend to fall back on Gmail or Dropbox or some of these other tools. So they're the generation who are most likely to drive shadow IT and the non-sanctioned, non-approved tools in the workforce. So if we put those three things together, you start to get a really interesting picture. Firstly, this generation doesn't pay too much attention to security. Yeah. They care a lot more about their personal privacy. They've got a huge number of passwords that they're not managing particularly well. And then they're most likely to use tools we didn't provide that their IT department did not provide to them. So on the surface, you could say this generation is insecure and going to yeah. create a challenge for employers. That's on the surface. There's more to it, but let me pause there for a moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are very interesting uh, findings and all, and looks like you guys have uh, done extensive research and it speaks volumes about it. Now, uh, let, let's talk a bit about this great resignation. What is driving great resignation in your opinion? I think what's driving it is it's really a power shift from employers to employees. And I think what we saw during the pandemic was that when organizations started hiring people again in late 2020, 
uncertainty when we thought we were coming out of the pandemic. Uh, we started hiring people remotely and onboarding people remotely. And suddenly a lot of the power shifted to the employee. They could kind of dictate the terms saying, I only want to work at home and these are my terms and conditions. And then we saw um, an increased liquidity in the workforce and we saw how easy it was to change jobs. And for many people, changing jobs now means I can stay at the same desk, but I take my old laptop and I put it in a package and I send it back to my old boss or my old employer. And I take a new laptop out of a new package and I set it up and I connect it to my same Wi-Fi and the same monitor on my desk. And I sit on the same seat at the same desk. Now I got a new job. It's that easy. I don't need to go and meet people. I don't need to sit in a cubicle. I don't need to commute. I don't need to pay for overpriced parking or overpriced lunch. I can just sit in my home office and use a different laptop. That's a new job. And so the barrier to change dropped so low through the pandemic that we saw this liquidity in the workforce we'd never seen before. And it really was, as I said, a power shift from the employer to the employee who took a lot of control. <laughs> so so now we spoke about the, the the topic from the employee perspective but talking about the employer side how difficult it is to hire talent in these days because people are job shopping right having four to five different offers and all and it will be difficult for the companies to find and hire right talent so what should they do there's a number of factors in that but first firstly our research um, yielded some insights on remote working that we did not expect. We got a shock. We we asked people one simple question. It was, where do you feel most productive and do your best work? So it's where do you feel most productive? And everybody in every generation and in every industry told us in the office. So we gave them three three options in the question. It was in the office, at home, or another location. And every generation told us they feel most more productive in the office. Now, we think people are actually more productive. If you think of it on a one-day basis, people are actually more productive at home because they get, there's fewer distractions. They can go deeper into their work. But what, what we think the data is telling us and people are telling us is that they need the contextual understanding of their company or their business or their place of work. And by coming to work and having loose relationships with lots of people in different departments, and being able to sit down with other people for lunch or have a chat at the coffee machine or the water cooler or go out for drinks maybe on a Friday evening. People need that. They need that sense of belonging. They need that sense of understanding where they fit in the organization and having an idea of what people in other departments are doing. And if you just stay at home and look at the screen and talk to the same six people or, or whatever through a Zoom or Teams application, you miss all that contextual richness of actually being part of an organization where you you know lots of people and you interact with them. So we think the future and, and, and the challenge here for employers has to be how you bridge that gap between giving people that sense of understanding, that, that sense of context and understanding the company they work for, yet the productivity of being able to go deep into their work, having days at home. And so it's about figuring out what's the right balance and giving people choices and doing so in a smart way. Other things that we think are important for hiring are a sense of purpose. The young generation today, whether it's Gen Z or young millennials, they really want to work for a company where they connect with the purpose of the organization. So helping rich people to get richer is not enough. It has to be an organization that's doing something meaningful and has a purpose 
and ideally some connection with the environment or some connection with um, improving the world we live in and leaving it better than we found it. And we think that's an extremely important factor for young people coming into the workforce. They're looking for an organization that they can identify with and connect with. Awesome. And continuing the topic about this remote working and all, we tend to uh, work with people we have never met right in person and all. So what is your advice in terms of how to lead people that we have never met? That's a huge one. That's a great question. So I think firstly, setting a clear vision and communicating clearly to people what the organization is about, giving them that sense of understanding. This is where the organization is going. This is why we exist. And this is where you fit into the picture. And I know as a, as a company founder and leader, I spend two hours with every new employee when they join the organization. And what I try and do is say to them, I want you to understand where you fit. And I spend a bit of time talking about the last 15 or 16 years, what we've been through, all the ups and downs, all the you know crises we've been through in the global financial crisis, the pandemic and all these things. And then I talk about the future and what are the things we're looking to do and we want to do and what's our strategy right now and how are we going to get there. And I remind people that even when, when Saturn V, the rocket ship, was going to the moon, it was only actually pointing at the moon for 3% of the time, only 3% of the time. For the rest of it, it was course correcting, it was, you know, adjusting the course. And every company is like that. And so I think for employers, when you're onboarding people you've never met, giving them a sense of here's where we've been, here's where we are now, here's where we're going, and this is the job we need you to do, and here's how you fit into the picture, and here's the contribution you need to make. I think that's more important. That conversation is more important than all the tools we give people and the applications and the, the handbook or the policies. It's giving them that emotional connection to the organization so they know where they fit and how they're going to make the biggest contribution. Perfect. So, uh, Dennis, now let's switch the topic to security part. Okay. So, what is yeah. driving the massive wave of security breaches and also ransomware attacks? In fact, uh, uh, I was uh, approached by two people saying that, hey, you do this podcasting and all. We want you to promote our product. And all you have to do is uh, just open this particular file with the password and all and go through the material. <laughs> and I got suspicious immediately. And, you know, the numbers that they quoted were were extremely high. They said, we'll be, we are ready to sponsor $1,000 for a 30-second ad roll and all. So, which is not prevalent in the market today. So, I felt suspicious and immediately reported spam. <laughs> That's my own Good. journey. <laughs> good, 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 good. And look, what's driving it primarily is people are more vulnerable now than they were before. And we saw a 500% increase in cybercrime during the pandemic. And part of the reason is that when the pandemic happened, the first thing, first thing that happened is everybody was told, go home and figure out how to work from home. And so we took our work computers home, or in some cases, it was, we were using personal computers. And we're in a home environment and we're connected over a domestic internet connection. So it's a consumer grade internet connection, but not a lot of security. And we're doing our work now in the home office. And before the pandemic, of course, the, the office was a kind of a fortress. You had security and you had a secure network and firewalls and, and all of that. Now the security perimeter is out in the suburbs. It's all the home offices where people work. 
And when the global chip shortage happened, you know, we were hiring new people and we couldn't give them a new laptop or a new desktop computer. So in many cases, employers had to say to their employees, use your personal machine for the next few months at least. So now you have people in a home office on a consumer-grade internet connection with a personal PC accessing sensitive data and creating lots of passwords for lots of accounts and lots of applications and saving them in personal notebooks. So our defenses went way down. We became way too exposed. And passwords themselves are a huge problem because we know now that the majority of cyber attacks start with compromised credentials. That's where they start. So the more passwords we have, the more vulnerable we are. And the more we need our employees to type out those passwords, the more times they take a risk. Because every time you type a password, you're taking a risk. You know, there might be some key logging software or whatever. And every time you force somebody to reset the password, you take a risk. So passwords themselves are actually a huge risk um, and a threat vector in our lives. And the more than we have, the, the, the worse the situation we're in. So we think the you know the number one piece of advice we can give organizations is go passwordless, develop a strategy to do away with passwords completely, and use biometrics, you know, face, fingers, and all that. Use single sign-on and use two-factor authentication, and get away from the day when your employees need to manage ninety-seven different passwords because it's just going to get you in trouble. We know that now. We know that all the facts, all the data is there. All the hacks start with compromised credentials. So we have to go passwordless. Awesome. I think that's a great suggestion like, and a wonderful idea too. Now, uh, can we briefly talk about your company, Mobile Mentor? And first of all, as you, uh, congratulations, hearty congratulations on winning this uh, Microsoft Partner of the Year for last uh, for, for uh, 2021. So it's a huge accomplishment, you, I'm sure. You. So please share some insights about your company, what kind of services and products that you provide. Sure. Thank you. So we're a services company. We're okay. a managed service provider. And we typically help uh, organizations that are in healthcare or professional services or maybe real estate or education. We help them get their security right and also the employee experience. And so most of our clients are using Microsoft 365 and all the Microsoft applications across a wide range of devices, smartphones, tablets, laptops, desktops. They have to be secure in all those devices, but they also have to have a really good employee experience and be productive. So we help them manage that technology, and we can do it in a way that's very cost-effective so they can have employees working anywhere on any device, and we try and ensure that they've got the best experience and they're secure and they're not getting hacked, they're not getting ransomed. So that's where we play, and a lot of the work we do is configuring the Microsoft technology in an optimal way to provide that experience and security together. Awesome. So this has been fabulous conversation so far, Dennis, but I would like to spice up the episode by kicking off a quick rapid fire round. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm okay with it. All right. Thank you for giving your consent and let me fire the first bullet. Can you describe one life-changing incident that changed your perspective altogether? I was very cynical about doing any work in the healthcare industry. I thought it was too difficult until my sister got very sick and I saw how the healthcare or uh, I saw how the industry saved her life. And that changed my view, changed me from being cynical to being very sympathetic to what's going on in healthcare. Oh. All right. So moving on, can you also share the best piece of advice that you have received so far? Best bit of advice I received is that you can achieve anything 
as long as you're willing to give the credit to other people. Wow. And what is your favorite failure professionally? I lost a, an important sale when I was living in Switzerland about 18 years ago. And it made me realize that it's not enough to sell technology. You actually got to make sure people can use technology. And that insight is what led me to set up Mobile Mentor. So losing that sale was the, was the genesis of setting up this company. Speed or perfection, which one would you choose? Speed. Spot on. Moving on to the last one for rapid fire. What is one electronic gadget or technology that you would like to see or invent yourself? Oh, I'd love to have some technology that could listen to music and tell you exactly what the notes and the chords are in real time. Wow. <laughs> Quite interesting thought. And uh, I think it will be a fantastic uh, startup idea Okay, for our listeners and whoever want to pick this up. Yeah. Maybe you can <laughs> try try your hands on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So that was a quick rapid fire. And uh, thank you for the wonderful answers. With that, let me flip back to the mainstream, Denise, and ask you one final question for today's conversation. What will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make begin their careers or lives? You can pick either of them. I would say find a problem and talk to as many people as you can to understand that problem and, and get really narrow, get really tight on solving one problem for people. And understand this from the person's point of view, what the problem means to them, um, how it impacts them emotionally and financially, and fall in love with the problem. Not with your solution, but fall in love with the problem and understand it better than anybody else. And from there, you will find opportunities. Wow. Such a profound advice. And uh, thank you so much for all the insights. Really informative conversation. And I loved every bit of it. Thank you so much, Dennis, for being part of our journey. Thank you, Naveen. Great to be on your podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. So, pleasure to host you, Denise. And folks, before we move into the trivia section, here is a request to you. In case if you haven't subscribed to us, please subscribe to us from the platform or from the app where you have tuned in from. And also, if you have loved this episode and found the conversation useful, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from the guiding voice. Thank you so much in advance. Now, let's hop into the trivia segment of today's episode. And today, we spoke about uh, Gen Z as well as uh, a bit of uh, remote work culture and how this bring your own device culture is getting adapted and all. So let us dive deep into this uh, BYOD, which stands for bring your own device and as per an article posted by techjury.net here are the a few eye-catching byod stats for 2022 first thing is about 67 percent of the employees use personal devices at work and also byod generates 350 dollars of value each year per employee and um, one other important thing is an employee who is carrying byod works at least two hours of extra time <laughs> and 87% of the businesses are dependent on their employees ability to access mobile business apps from their smartphone and in fact 69% uh, of the IT decision makers in the USA BYOD is a good thing and uh, already about 59% of the organizations are adopted BYOD so these are a quite a few interesting stats that i wanted to share with you and that's all for today before i let you go i request you to share your topic recommendations or any guest speaker suggestions through social media or email us or at the guiding voice for you at gmail.com 
friends i am your host navin samala just a fellow it professional and a passionate learner on a mission to make a difference in the lives and careers of millions across the globe until next time bye bye